Welcome to Past Prime, where middle-aged men assess the music of middle-aged men. I'm Maddie Wishnow, and I'm joined today by my equally middle-aged friend, Steve Collins. Steve, for our first-time listeners, would you mind explaining what we do here? Well, we look at the music of middle-aged men, and we talk and we discuss with little expertise about, you know, whether they have sort of triumphed the uh, process of age and managed to make some great art, or whether they have been slowed down, uh, if their metabolism is slowed down by the process of age and they've, you know, become lame. So today we're going to be talking about Eric Clapton's 1989 album Journeyman. You and I were both teenagers, what were we, were about 14 or 15 when this came out. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we had like a... Yeah child of you know child of boomer slash classic rock understanding of who eric clapton was today when you think about eric clapton Mm -hmm. what do you think about i think about i mean i think my impression of him was made from uh the you know Mm -hmm. that era and he was doing like beer commercials he had the after uh after midnight uh, beer commercial i think about uh i think about riding around in my dad's uh car i yeah i, I was the son of boomer listening <laughs> listening to this album i went to this concert i think about that i think on another note i think about uh <laughs> this album cover <laughs> which we're going to talk about less which is the most i think confident visual depiction of a man without a chin uh, that I've (laughs) ever seen. He really, he doesn't try to hide it. I mean, it is in the shadows, so I guess he's hiding it a little bit, but he's really, it's a very chin for chinless forward picture. Yeah. It's like, um, we are going to talk about this later. It would be the equivalent of like a, uh, a close up headshot of someone with a huge pimple who just put like a giant bandaid over the pimple. And was like, don't look like that's what the shadow over his chin is. Like. Yes. Yeah. What um, What about more broadly when you think about Eric Clapton? What are your feelings? What are your. Yeah. What does it evoke? I had been sort of steeped in <clears throat> all the classic rock uh, uh, propaganda that he was a very important figure. Uh, I had a copy of Time Pieces, his greatest hits album. Um, and I, I guess I just believed it. Um, I am very suspicious now and uh, that this may be a bit of a hoax. And certainly if you took this album, I I just don't see where you would point to the genius. And it is the fact that this is uh, yeah. titled Journeyman is very very revealing yeah <laughs> i mean it's obviously in in response to uh the kind of clapton as god which was being graffitied places it's very true it's a very kind of workmanlike not especially distinctive record <laughs> uh and it's uh it's odd that he would uh i mean i think he was I guess people take that as a badge of honor that they're working musicians, you know? Uh, yeah. I, but it seems like a bit of an admission of, I'm not sure if he meant it as an admission that he's not really a great artist. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I read it as a badge a pride or badge of honor and some self-awareness about who he is. But I would say for most of my young life, I, I presumed or understood Eric Clapton to be the greatest living guitarist, right? Like that was sort of yes. handed down as axiom. Yes. And then, you know, the other, um, and then, and that his work with Cream, the Yardbirds, and I'll put Derek and the Dominoes aside. And even as a solo artist, I think what I understood was that he was an artist. You know what I mean? That he wasn't like yes. a, a yes. great guitar session man. I think I misunderstood him to be like an artist in the vein of a singer songwriter, you know? Yeah. But I didn't know the difference really as a teenager between, you know, an artist and a musician and a session man, you know? Yeah. But I thought Eric Clapton was a great artist and the greatest living guitarist. I remember a story 
um, that you told me as a, I don't know whether you were a late teen or whether we were in our 20s. You told me a story about you and a friend. I don't, and I don't know whether you were in Schenectady or you were in the Catskills. You were prepubescent and your friend was pubescent. And, oh, okay. and he, <laughs> he, uh, he exposed himself to you. <laughs> I, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. you just dis- you described your prepubescent mind as having like as though a woolly mammoth was unfurled right yes and eric clapton to me had a bit of a get a load of this quality that your uh, <laughs> pubescent friend had <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that that in you really my mind that story in there. The well, the well, you may and you also understa- make it sound like I. Uh, <laughs> that's a hard story to like switch over because you make it sound like I got molested. Well, or yeah, but I, I, I should have done. Happened. I should have done a trigger warning on it. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just, yeah, that is not no, what happened. You, no, but okay, but but, we're, but with the fa- uh, yes. so the facts of my of my retelling were generally accurate, right? Is that when you get older, maybe it doesn't look like such a mammoth? Is that what you're saying? It was a it was a little bit of that, and a little about when you're younger and you don't know any better. Yes. If somebody says this is the greatest guitarist, get a load <laughs> of this, then you believe it. Yes. <laughs> somebody, right? So th- that in both. Cases, but that was more in if to this story you're telling. That was more the behavior of this is what guys our age do. We. We show we, each other our we take ding dongs. Yeah. So less less that and yeah. more more the get a load of this. Get a load I of this. Get yeah. like that that your I don't know whether it was your friend or yes. um, it's a friend, that, not that a he, scoutmaster. That he right he his his vibe was get a load of this. Yes. And when I think of Eric Clapton, I think of like older brothers friends putting white room on the CD player or yeah. the cassette player and being get like, a load get of a the, load of this. This yeah, is, yeah. this is like, this is, a, a, this is, the this is like a three foot penis. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like that was, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> did, did, did I, uh, did I save myself in this story? No, but it we still, we got through it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, yeah, that was, that was my recollection of Eric Clapton, which is that yeah. the greatest, the biggest, the best guitarist that there ever was. Yes, that was my recollection too. And that Clapton is God was not um, was sincere. That yes, it, like it, that people really meant it. Yes. And then I think about what it's like to start a career because that started actually you, that that started in 1965-66 with the Yardbirds. Yeah. It started. It started when he was with the Yardbirds. They were already saying that he was a god. They were already saying it. It started in in, in London or in okay. England in the mid '60s, and I just think about what it's like to start your career that way. And then, if you're Eric Clapton, and you might sense deep down, hey, maybe I'm not God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe writing songs is hard for me. Maybe I'm not a very good singer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like that's a hard that's a hard road ahead, isn't it? Yeah. No, you have nowhere to go but down. Right. Yeah. So one one trope that is often written and spoken about is this notion that an artist was only good when he or she was on drugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Suffering. Right. Is is that possibly does that apply to Eric Clapton? I, well, I don't know. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the thing is when was he good? I think first you have to maybe identify uh, when he was good. <laughs> Which is debatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my mm-hmm. opinion, the only stuff that in hindsight that has caught my ear is the Derek and the Dominoes stuff. Yep. I don't, I, you know, I haven't exhaustively studied Cream, but uh, that, I don't stop that when I hear it on the radio. I find the Derek and the Dominoes uh, album is pretty astounding. And, yep. you know, I don't, that's like one of the best Aside from the band, it's like just the best sounding band <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, so that's, I think, the sweet spot there. I also looked at his solo yeah. albums and I was like, where is where is the good stuff? What what's the good one? Where is this? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't really find anything that was like consistently awesome. Uh, I do think the first track of that Ocean Boulevard album, Motherless Children, is pretty great. 
but that was the only track I was like, this is great. And yeah. so yeah. I don't know what his drug, I didn't follow his drug use. I certainly have heard much about his uh, pain over, uh, you know, courting uh, George Harrison's wife, Patty Boyd, uh, unsuccessfully, uh, and then eventually successfully, and then divorcing. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I have a different theory, which is that it may be this is somebody that really needs to be in a band and be a collaborator and yeah. that it, it it's a very awkward fit maybe that he just got forced into because his bands kept breaking up but i don't know all the details about why blind faith and uh cream i don't know why all these things didn't work i just assume it's the same reason most bands don't stay together so i don't know or is it that he's like an impossible person is he a big no no i think i don't think that's true um and i only know a little bit more than you but what i just to play it back from you, what I heard is that based on what you know, Derek and the Dominoes is like the outlier. It's not the proof yes. of, right? It's it's the exception. Yes. Um, and that, that seemed to be a very collaborative venture with Bobby Whitlock. And, and when you hear, if I listen up, it's sort of a little bit like your theory about Big Star being, I'm not saying, yeah. you know, it's all Bobby Whitlock. But if you listen to Bobby Whitlock, it kind of sounds more like Derek and the Dominoes than... Uh, uh, you know, listening to, you know, uh, Lay Down Sally or something. <laughs> well, yeah. And to, well, to bring it full circle, I, I, Eric Clapton seems to love collaborating. And I don't know whether that's. Yes. I, so in other words, I don't think he's like a bad actor in bands. Um, you know, even in Cream, when Cream started, Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker were, you know, were better thought of than Eric Clapton when it first started. Like they were they were considered like leaders in their profession. And Clapton, you may or may not know this, but Clapton doesn't sing lead on on most of the Cream songs. So a lot of the famous songs that yeah. you and I thought we would attribute to Eric Clapton, he played lead guitar on, uh -huh. obviously, but he most frequently did not sing and did not write those songs. Like he really only wrote a few of their hits like Badge and uh, Tales of Brave Ulysses. Uh -huh. um, he really only wrote a few of their songs. And Derek, you know, he starts Derek and the Dominoes in part because he kind of he a he wants a band and b he doesn't want it to be the Eric Clapton band, uh -huh. you know. So I think like in his solo career, you see like a great guitarist being forced into a role that he's very uncomfortable. Yeah. With. Which is why I think when he says journeyman, he I actually attribute a lot of self awareness to this time. Yeah. I think he views himself as like a journeyman guitarist who's kind of bounced yes. around and probably never found his calling. Yeah. Maybe except for Derek. And well, Dunn. yeah. And if you're super famous and you you're going to make solo records. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's sort it's almost like he another avenue might have been to take a pseudonym and like he never had a chance to like make a low profile development as a, a solo artist he's 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 right. instantly you know elevated to the top uh but i don't know if uh if he really has the knack for songwriting <laughs> right right so i i i totally agree with you that i think i've answered that question now having gone through his discography and i think the answer and i think he would say as much as well like i don't think he has a knack for songwriting mm -hmm. But I want to ask, I want to ask a provocative question. Ooh. If you listen to those 70s solo albums, like the better, mm -hmm. you know, the better ones, um, Slow Hand, the self-titled one. And Ocean Boulevard. You know, yeah, yeah. 461 Ocean Boulevard. And if I told you that those were made by Lou Reed. I would say that these are lame Lou Reed albums. That's what I wanted yeah, to know. That that's what I wanted like, to know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think they they all sound fine to me, mm -hmm. but not particularly. They don't really grab you that much. It's interesting that yeah. he loves J.J. Kale so much. I guess I'm not a J.J. Kale expert, but he's taken a lot of his songs or covered them. But it, it's very mellow, kind of mm -hmm. competent, but not flashy kind of music you know i don't know it doesn't have well, a lot of oomph to it <laughs> well that that's um that's sort of the tragedy that i landed on 
when I went through his entire solo career, which is there's an artist who's sort of like presented up on a platter with this get a load of this vibe. Yeah. But I don't think that's like inside him. Yeah. I think like what's inside him is really like a. Um, I think he's probably um, like a he- a music fan. He's like a, he he's yeah. like he's. I think he's like a heady, possibly, you know, more certainly more reserved player. Yeah, he's a yeah. player. He's a guy who plays guitar. Yeah, you know. Um, and he's a, he kind has of, a kind of curatorial quality, you know, where he he becomes sort of the culture's sort of white spokesman for the blues uh and uh you know and does the sort of he does that duet album with bb king and but in everything he's and he has a couple of blues standards on most albums and uh it seems like he's a he he is sort of part uh yeah museum curator kind of you know musical curator you know he has those early 70s records after Derek and the dominoes and then in 76 he tries being part of a band by basically um inviting the band to record this album no reason to cry with him and it sounds a little it sounds like the band yeah. except it's fucking Eric Clapton singing mm-hmm. so and why would um, you have that <laughs> when right when you when you have a band with like two and a half of like the greatest yeah, singers Manuel, of, yeah yeah i know yeah so he sort of he exits the 70s as a superstar yeah. you, you know on mo- mostly on reputation because you know he has hit songs very few of them yeah. did he write yeah. you know he didn't write motherless children that wasn't obviously the biggest hit but he didn't write most of his songs um you know he's got drug problems throughout the whole decade and then the 1980s are just not really yeah. friendly for him. You know, you know, I was thinking he's actually a lot more like Ringo, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in that, you know, he's a huge superstar. He's not really a songwriter. What do you do? Yeah. It's like, what do you do when you're that big, when they're writing that you're God over, you know, everything and you have that audience? And what he chooses yeah. to do is be a curator for the blues and put together some kind of easy, <laughs> you know, goes down. I mean, Ringo's yeah. songs are just kind of like, you guys like rock and roll? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it goes oh, down easy, yeah. kind of, <laughs> you know, sing along yeah. stuff of, you know, it's sort of like, it's kind of like, we like the blues and rock and roll. Let's have a party. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Clapton's born 20 years later, I presume his outcome is like Steve Vai or Joe Satriani, right? I guess so. You mean obscurity? <laughs> or well, no, or level of popularity. Yeah. yeah. I just mean he's like yeah. this person is a guitar god, but he's not yeah. like a elite songwriter. Yeah. He's we're not going to make we're not going to make him sing anything. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So and and then, you know, in the 80s, Clapton his you know, he bottoms out creatively, commercially, and then you mentioned this before, he divorces or Patty Boyd, Patty Boyd mm-hmm. leaves him in, in 84 when he's making Behind the Sun. One question I have for you, I don't know if you know anything about this. How the hell did he and George Harrison remain friends? <laughs> it's a good question because I've never heard him say anything bad about him. And apparently they were friends still. They No, they were. They collaborated. Yes. And George Harrison wrote a song on, yes, on, this, on album. this album. Yeah, I know. Uh, I do not know. It seems it seems kind of nuts i i think maybe just george is uh kind of spiritually elevated and is sort of above it all the problems of love and that he i i gotta think that's the only thing that can explain it that he's just kind of not concerned with the material world (laughs) yes i i I just want to be on record you know you you're my oldest and one of my dearest friends if in our 20s you confessed that you loved (laughs) my wife and then my wife left me for you. You and I would not no, be friends anymore. No, the same thing. Yeah. I'm, it's okay. not. It, yeah, it's just too hard. I can't get over it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But, you know, it's like I I haven't had this, you know, the spiritual life of George Harrison. So I don't, you know, Yeah, he's done some, um, he's done his work. Well, he, yeah, he did, he the, did work. the work. A rough patch in the 80s. And then, you know, we kind of circle back to where we started. Clapton comes out in 89 with Journeyman, which is a bit of a surprise hit. It, it it does land in the zeitgeist, not certainly of pop music, but of 
you know, men on the cusp of middle age who are now have disposable income are driving Mercedes and BMWs and want to feel like they're still connected to some ideals, right? And and my core thesis for the essay, this was one of the shorter essays we wrote, so I was a little bit snarky and brief, was that this was the album, you know, which was kind of coronated at the time as like a Grammy award winning, like a work of art. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, this is just like a really well-styled, blues album by a man who I thought was a great artist who's really a great guitarist and assembles I think in this case dozens and dozens of guest stars and friends and collaborators around him and I think Eric Clapton wrote half of one song on this album which I don't want to be like punitive about but um what I was left with was like you know if I think if you or I you know went to Las Vegas to the house of blues and they were like tonight is blues night we would expect to hear something that was about at this level, like expensive, well-performed blues yes. in a smoky club, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I, right. I think, like, I think if Bruce Willis bought a really good <laughs> band, it wouldn't sound that different, would it? That is one of my things that I was thinking. I was like, who, because who? I was trying to describe Clapton's voice, and I was like, because I don't, I would not say he has a bad voice. I would just say it is not particularly notable. Yeah. It, it, and it is definitely not one of those voices like a Dylan or, a, a, you know, a Tom Waits or something where you're like, yeah, it's not, you know, it's it's distinctive and that's its point. It's not, you know, it has character. It doesn't have character, really. It, it And I was like, it's kind of sort of like an actor's voice who, you know, you hear him in a movie singing and you're like, hey, not bad, you know, but, you know, you're not like, and now I want to hear a Russell Crowe album or something, yeah. you yeah. know, it's, you're just sort of like, I hey, kind of pulled that off, like Clint Eastwood with like, uh, uh, you know, he, he does a tune, it's like just in the key that he can do, and you're sort of like, huh, man, this guy can sing, okay, you know, but you don't, you don't want like a music career. That's the kind of voice he has, or like, uh, yeah, like Bruce Willis, you know, who did make an album. Yeah, and you're, you're not like, keep going. You're like, okay, yep, you know, like very good if, you know, if you have someone monitoring, making sure it's in the right range, and you can do it, you know? Yeah, I, I felt, I as a thought experiment, I was like, okay, Bruce Willis takes his diehard money, assembles the same band from the return of Bruno and then pays a million dollars for Mark Knopfler to join. You yeah. get basically a comparable product to journeyman. Yes. Right. Ap yes. Well, yes, you got to get the songs. Do you think Bruce Willis has it in them? The song, well, you're also paying for Eric, the songs. I don't think Eric, I don't no, think no, Eric, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, but you have to pay for the songs too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You'd have, right. You'd, you'd have to, you'd have to, well, that's just yes. covering a song. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, he, it's not like licensing. He can, he right. can go, Bruce Willis can go cover Hound Dog. Yes. It's just exactly. that and for every exactly. money he makes, he's going to get have to give whatever it yes. is, nine, every dollar is going to have to pay nine cents to, uh, yeah. that's not the right number, whatever the percentage is. Yeah. that I think that that would produce about the same thing. I agree. Okay. I, I, I do think that. But, you know, so, things were, he had other plans, Willis. Yes, he did. He did. Um, so p my thesis was Clapton is a stylist more than an artist, and then um, perhaps ungenerously, although I think accurately, attached to that theory, I had this other theory that he's never wants to embarrass himself. He, you know, he never wants to pretend that he's really God because he'll embarrass himself. He never wants to sing his heart out because that will embarrass himself. He never wants to write a song because that will embarrass himself. And I sent you photos of eric clapton through the years and <laughs> in 1966 eric clapton had a perm yeah and was wearing like a puffy sleeve shirt and had no chin and no facial hair and if his name wasn't eric clapton i don't think he's popular with the ladies and then i sent you photos of him through the 70s and 80s when he grows the beard when he gets clothes that fit properly where he does away with the perm and he's like the coolest looking dude you know dad yeah. vibe you know mm -hmm. so so I think he's like really managing his downside. Yeah. As a career. Yeah. Are you buying that? I yeah, I guess. I mean, 
Well, we're all, you know, we're all managing our downsides. I I don't judge him for it. (laughs) Uh, You know, he, he, I don't know. Yes, sure. (laughs) But he's putting nothing on the line. Most artists desperately as they get older, try to do like they might they make bad fashion choices they make bad creative choices clapton basically like battened down the hatches at the age of 24 and was like i'm gonna cover other people's songs i'm gonna sing in a very laid-back way i'm gonna surround myself with others i'm not getting embarrassed yeah that may be true it's hard uh i certainly there's no um there's not a tremendous amount of risk in that career of his you know, it's certainly the solo career. There's not a ton of risk in there. Right. He does seem to be kind of taking it e- easy a little. Like, you know, not that, you know, putting yourself out there and making an album is ever really easy, but there's a kind of, he's got a, yeah, as I said, he's like a music appreciator. It's like yeah. music appreciation club. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And we're going to play these things. We talked a little in the beginning about the cover, the chinless cover. Can you, can you zoom in and describe what it looks like in detail? It's a pretty simple one. How would you yeah, it's pretty it? simple. He's he's in the shadows. Uh, uh, it's a kind of a, a profile. He looks, I think, kind of sad. Maybe mm-hmm. he's thinking about something sad, like a uh, somebody a, a a love gone wrong or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, very serious, very revealing of the lack of chin, as we said. Um, and then that, yeah, that simple uh, uh, title, also very revealing, Journeyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's about it. As you, you've pointed out, uh, uh, he, he has a, he's got that bob in this era. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's, a, in hindsight, a, an odd sort of, sort of boyish haircut for a 40-year-old man or 40-something. But I have to confess, a haircut that in 1989 I thought looked really cool. Yeah, he was killing it. Yeah, <laughs> he's killing it. But he fought. Yeah, he's following. I guess he's playing it safe, following the trends, or he's got a stylist or something. Yep. So you open the CD, you look for the chin, you don't find it. You listen to the album, whatever it is, forty something minutes, fifty six minutes. Oh, it's a little more bloated than I thought. Yeah. Um, not song by song. Uh, describe the vibe. What does the album sound like? It's very full sounding, very but clean. There's no why. It's not, you know, Derek and the Dominoes is you have a feeling that there are notes being played that aren't planned. You know, this is very planned and safe. Uh, the it does sound of its era, but not in a awful way. Uh, you know, there are some synth kind of touches and stuff that sound a little dated now, but not not critically there wasn't a like a a real uh you know reaching for youth or something no uh and um the drums are very like wet they're like a lot of reverb on them and uh the it's very voice forward they're not hiding his voice uh the vocals are up there they do a lot of gospely singer kind of stuff background singers in the in the background mm-hmm. uh not like a whole guy but just like backup singers uh with a kind of soul feel to them and uh that sort of tempers the quality of his voice uh very i think smart and calculated decision and i really this time around really tried to listen to the guitar playing because you know, yeah. I as uh, we've said many times, I don't actually know anything about <laughs> the guitar. And I was like, but, I, you know, you sort of feel like I don't know anything about like, you know, gymnastics. But when somebody does like a really good routine in the Olympics, I can I feel like I know enough to be like, wow, yeah. you know, and I can say, well, I definitely could not do that. And and also that that's beautiful or looks astounding or whatever. I don't really I looked all over this album for something astounding guitar wise. And I don't know. And I was wondering if you knew, like, where is the astounding part of the guitar? I didn't think anything sounded bad. And I realize he is not Eddie Van Halen and he's not that kind of guitarist. But yeah, what where I could not find the 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 good. You were you were searching for eruption. 
Yes, I was looking for a eruption. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just that he he is it slowly yeah. awesome because he is known so, as slow hand to play the he, boob here. He's known um, as slow hand. Yes. Is it that it's slowly awesome? I think that. First of all, I think Eric Clapton's style is singular. I think, you know, many people, including us, we probably just are copying a million other writers, would describe it as like muscular. I think his tone sounds like he has to use weight and force and probably a lot of um, feeling to evoke the sound. Uh, It is slow and more deliberate. It's not, um, it doesn't sound virtuosic the way like we think of modern guitarists and it, it, he has a similar he uses similar guitars and tone as someone like Mark Knopfler but Mark Knopfler makes everything sound almost too easy mm-hmm. so and I was li- I listened to a lot of cream this week in preparation for this and you know the 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 solos on the famous cream songs are sort of like heavy wah-wah you know there's mm-hmm. like a there's more wah-wah, distortion wah-wah, yeah. and psychedelic psychedelia mm-hmm. in them um whereas on this album he's playing slow hand heavy true blues mm-hmm. very electric blues um so heavy without distortion so i can't say whether that's like hard to do or great or whether other people are better at it than him but it sounds i i can't think of anyone else who sounds like that mm-hmm. you know um Again, that's not that. That's, I accept it. Yeah. I I appreciate. I I'm a eager student. I well, I'm not. I, I I I hate. If I'm your teacher, you're in big trouble. Um, <laughs> the the other thing I'll say about the album, not taking it song by song, is that it sounds wonderful to me. Like the album actually sounds great to me. Yes. It sounds like a a really expensive band playing in a well built theater, it's like yeah. a small theater. Yeah. It you know I, I like like the knighting of an English blues guitarist by his peers. Like, it sounds like this is a, a an, like an evening with Eric Clapton, yeah. right? Um, and it sounds good. It doesn't, like, if you don't listen to the songs, you just listen to the tones, it doesn't sound dated to me. It sounds like this no. could have been recorded yesterday. Yeah, it sounds fine. There's nothing um, embarrassing. <laughs> no. no. And, and there's, there's really two, outside of, like, you know, one odd song which we'll get to there's two there's basically two types of songs on the album there's the what i call like the get a load of this stuff which is yeah. you know bad love pretending no alibis like muscular guitar yeah. stuff and then there's the stuff that i i don't know like it's slow moody bluesy numbers i i refer to it as like like rigs from lethal weapons theme music <laughs> you know <laughs> you know how like when uh when mel gibson was like alone in his camper yeah in, uh in lethal weapon they play like this this yes. you know this like it sound maybe that is eric clapton by the way he may have yeah. scored that for all i know he might have. um but this sort of like lonely blues i feel like everything is either like get a load of this or lonely blues uh-huh. those are kind of the two modes yeah yeah that's accurate that's accurate okay. yeah what is your favorite song on the album um, I think I would choose Run So Far, the George Harrison song. Um, the uh, I, I, It's a nice song, and I listened to it, and I was like, oh, it sounds like George Harrison. And then I looked, and I was like, oh, it is George Harrison. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know if I – is he playing on it? I would – Yeah. He is yeah, playing George, on it? George plays and sings back up on it. George okay, yeah. yeah. You can hear – I mean, it's, it sounds like his slide guitar – Yep. And uh, uh, it's a nice song, you know, and I like George Harrison and uh, I don't mind the swap in the voice that much. And it's a kind of it has that kind of George Harrison has a uh, there's a humility to a lot of his uh, songs that I like. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe that's because he saw himself as small in the universe or something. But um there's they have an easy quality uh, and something kind of whim that slide guitar always sounds kind of whimsical to me. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I like that song of the singles, uh, the big songs. I like No Alibis probably the best. I don't know why. I don't have any reason. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and I also like Lead Me On, uh, yeah. which is one of the uh, so it's just a pretty song. Um, and honestly, a lot of them, a lot of the songs are fine. Yes. They really, I don't, there aren't like real stinkers here. Uh, they're, they're, a lot of them are fine, but it's a lot of fine. It's a lot of fine. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and what about you? What's uh, what did you choose for your best? So the best. I, I think Bad Love is it's cloying, but I think it's a genuinely good song. I think mm-hmm. it's the this is an Eric Clapton song, even though he didn't write it. But this is the sound of Eric Clapton in 1989. Like if I was going to take one song, yeah. put it in a time capsule. Um, I think it's got the muscular guitar. I think he actually sounds like he's really trying on the vocals. I think, you know, pretending starts with like a, a tickling of the mm-hmm. piano. And then there's a get a load of this guitar mm-hmm. that comes out mm-hmm. of it. But then the chorus of that song is so goddamn... It's like an earworm Mm -hmm. and he sounds too happy. And I don't think I think happy Eric Clapton is not like Mm -hmm. a good vibe, but bad love, I think, works. I think it's above average in every way, whereas um, almost every other song on the album, in my mind, is 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 like average Eric Clapton played exceptionally well, you know, Mm -hmm. and. Although Lead Me On is the one real exception. Like that's a that's almost like a gospel slow jam. You know, that's mm-hmm. a weird it's an unu- it's the one it's the one thing that's not like the others on the album mm-hmm. and although I'm not like craving to hear it again, it's the one song where I was like, "Oh, I admire the eccentricity of it." Mm-hmm. Um but you know, but to your point, uh you know, the rest of the album and we'll get to the worst songs in a minute is uniformly competent, professional, and well-made, right? It's, like, hard to be like, this sucks. Like, none of it really sucks. Mm-mm. No, the the bad stuff, if we want to get... To, I mean, I, I just... The bad stuff just sort of, like, un, a little unnecessary. Like, yeah. why didn't you cut this? Like, it's not... it. You know, the album's long enough. Yeah. Uh, so, like, why do we need this? Like, uh, the, the Hound Dog cover... I just like, why does the world need a cover of another cover of Hound Dog? Like he add, I was like, well, what is he's adding? He does add kind of a shuffle to it. It's like, it's, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard a version like that, but it's, I, it just seems unnecessary. It's not bad. It's just doesn't seem necessary or essential. Uh, And then the hard times I thought I, I, I don't really like, I mean, it's fine, but this is a Ray Charles cover and, and that I, Hound Dog isn't a song that's kind of known for its vocal. Mm-hmm. And Ray Charles is a singer with, a, you know, it's just hard to kind of cover that and have like the way inferior voice and not really bring anything to replace it like character or. So yeah. it seems to me maybe just his curatorial uh, instincts uh, kind of gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. they're they're also fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree with you on Hound Dog. It's unnecessary. I think his version sounds like the Big Mama Thornton version more than the Elvis version, uh-huh. which does have some swing to it. The Ray Charles cover, I totally agree with you on. It's, it's. I was trying to think because Van Morrison covers Ray Charles, but Van's voice is so unusual. Like, it's, yes. it's, it's not better than Ray Charles's voice, but it is so different. Yes. And he's able to channel something of his own. And Clapton brings nothing to the table. And Van is like, Vance has his own phrasing that comes from, you know, beyond the mystic. And so even his, the way he's singing, the, yes. the, the syllables he's choosing, like he just, you know, he's putting it through the Van machine. So something's going to come out different. And that's not the case here. There, I found that the hard times in particular, I don't know, it's like too much reverence, you know, like yeah. Yeah. too much like... Like I'm gonna play a great, you know, Ray Charles. I don't, I don't, I don't like. I find that song's very skippable. My other yeah. bad ones, Breaking Point, is yep. Breaking Point's probably I think maybe the weirdest song. It's got kind of angular rhythms to it. It seems kind of like an experiment of like because uh, the singles kind of sounds sort of similar. Mm-hmm. The and this is sort of the rocker that is uh, sounds different, but I just think maybe just a you know, not terrible, but uh, a strange sort of little experiment. <laughs> so I both agree and disagree with you. Like, I think Breaking Point might be legit bad. Like, uh, <laughs> it um, it has, like, that robot funky stuff that, yeah. um, that you know, Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack Pointer Sister <laughs> stuff has. And it has that, but with, like, a bad singer. Yeah. So that was the one song where I asked myself, 
if you told me that Frank Stallone or Bruce Willis wrote and performed this, would I believe you? And I think the answer to that one is yes. <laughs> but I, I think that we're we're burying the lead, which is that this is an album of high competence, low ceiling, high floor, basically. Yeah, high right? floor, yeah. So after this album, to some of your very earlier comments, Clapton retreats more into lightness, right? He Yeah, very goopy. Goopy, lighter. Now, obviously, he suffers like an unthinkable tragedy. He has yes. a child who dies, and he has like a fourth or fifth act in his career. He has like, you know, Yardbirds, Clapton is God, Clapton. He has Cream. He has, you know, Derek and the Dominoes slash early solo. Then he has Journeyman. And then he has like this, like, you know, like this, like. It's the MTV Unplugged. Yes. That was such a big. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Tears from Heaven, Save the World, Dates Cheryl Crow. I, I refer to him as like a dilf, like a dad I'd like to F. <laughs> like he's sort of like, you know, he's like in his, he's, he's looking it's great. The resident dilf. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He finally um, found the right combination of bob and beard to throw uh, off his chin problem. He nails yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he's got, but also zero balls in any of the music. Like no. no. He removes no all. Yeah. Removes them all. Starts There's doing like, acoustic. It's like yeah. he took that unplugged thing too seriously. He took all the, you know, when he unplugged, it was like, oh, uh, it didn't. He you know, becomes, it's, if you have Nirvana unplug, yeah. they still, what was cool about that was that you still heard the pain and the, and the, the searching and the music, you know, and the covers he chose were so interesting. Uh, but when, when, uh, Clapton unplugs. It's like, oh, God, it's just like campfire stuff. He becomes one with Phil Collins is what happens. He becomes like groovy kind of love. Yeah, groovy kind of love Tarzan era stuff. Yeah. I can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We and then we'd be remiss if we didn't say what happened most recently, which is he locked arms with Van the man <laughs> and did. becomes a covid denier. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Well, not a denier, just a kind of anti anti government restrictions, anti lockdown. Yes. Yeah, you know, you said something in our Van podcast which made me sympathetic, which is, you know, Van's closing in on eighty. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Eric Clapton's not far behind. Yeah, and if you know, all Van can do is go out and sing soul music. That's all he can do, mm -hmm. right? All Eric Clapton can do is play guitar. And if the world is like, no, you cannot do that, that and and you know that you're in the sunset of things. Yeah, it's you get pretty impatient. Hard. Yeah. It's gotta be hard. Yeah. Yeah. It does it's, have it's to be hard. Yeah. So I don't um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Without getting in trouble. But yeah, we can have say, some compassion that it is hard to do one thing all your life and then not be able to do it. Why why don't we move on? We like to plot all of these albums as uh, prime or past prime or something in the middle. Prime being like when Tom Waits has a, you know, second act triumph like Bone Machine. Past prime being like when a great artist suddenly falls off a cliff like R.E.M.'s Around the Sun. Where would you plot this album? Well, I would put it as a bit of a, you know, in a little different category, like a, you know, like we did with Crosby, Sills, and Nash, that this is a bit of a cold case breaker mm -hmm. where it it's sort of, because it's so uniformly fine, but also not terribly remarkable, it does point to the question of, you know, was he ever great? Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> and so it, it, kind of, it really does have you point, at least for me, like point backwards and kind of investigate the cold case of, wait a second, maybe this guy was a great collaborator and not a great songwriter you know great artist uh, right. that he's a curator and collaborator and that he needs to be kind of looked at differently right <laughs> yeah um so i do think that inadvertently this revealed some truths to me that i didn't know which was again eric clapton is probably an elite guitarist but that doesn't mean he's a great artist certainly not even a very good singer, and he's not really a great songwriter, even much of a songwriter. Um, however, I view this a little bit differently. Like, for me, this was the beginning of, like, a fourth or fifth peak for him. Yeah, it's so his I, prime. I, 
Yes, it's like a past prime prime. Yes, yes. It's, and I was trying to think about artists who have like a geriatric new phase where it's like it might not be your and my cup of tea, but people love that cup of tea. Yeah. I was trying to think who else would ha- like. Well, Steve like, Winwood. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Or like even in a weird way, like Elton John's Lion King soundtrack. Yeah. Like I don't like that, but people hugely successful. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, um, and this is not like just to be clear, not like CSNY's American Dream. This is not a turd. No, it's not a turd. This is like I took a solid shit. <laughs> I'm not gonna agree or deny. <laughs> But that is, it's like that. Um, okay, what did you take away from this album for your own middle age? Uh, that, I just that collaboration's important. I don't know the backstory about why he didn't continue to try to find bands, but that, you know, collaboration is important. And mm-hmm. it don't, you know, we don't, you don't need to go out all on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was yeah. what I took from it. Okay. We are stronger by the sum together. of together. Yeah, together. <laughs> yeah, we are stronger uh, together. Is what I took out of it. Um, and maybe I, I, Bobby Whitlock is the Chris Bell of Derek and the Dominoes. That's interesting. Um, I, you know, I was a little bit more cynical in my takeaway, which is that like protecting your downside, being like um, obsessed with not exposing yourself to risk, has its own downside. Matt, I like it. It's okay. good. I'm not sure that's really the truth of Eric Clapton's story, but that's what I took away. The other thing I just want to say is that Clapton looks legit good in a mock turtleneck under a blazer where, with a bob, but I'm never going to try that look. Like, don't, you shouldn't try the things sartorially no. that Eric Clapton did. Like, it's, it's, it's one of one. Yeah. Right? It's one of one. Yeah, don't fuck with it. <laughs> one of one um, instance where this worked out. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think you you have to understand when you do not possess a chin, you have to do all sorts of optical illusions in everything else to get a sense of balance, a kind yeah. of, um, you know, Euclidean uh, harmony. Uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on to look cool. But he figured it out. Like the the three quarter inch mock turtleneck becomes his chin. Yeah. Like there's... <laughs> Like he, whatever. Yes. He figured it out. I know. I was going to say, like, if we were to, if we were to make a mountain to the chinless, like a Mount Rushmore to the chinless, I mean, he would be just like. Yes. First. And I, I don't even know who else. I would, I would trade my chin to be able to look, style myself like him. Yes, yes. <laughs> you would yes. He's a yeah, he's a master stylist. I just sort of he's revalidated a I revalidated my thesis. Yeah. Um yeah, he's a master stylist. Any chance you'll listen to this album again? Uh you know, maybe. I don't know because it was uh you know, I was thinking this for whatever reason this particular album I have strong memories of mm-hmm. it and so Therefore, you know, you're listening not just to the music itself, but to the time period that you associate with it. So I think that could pop it in again, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, or at least when it's on the radio, I might sort of keep it on and sort of think about that the past. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so there's something about this and maybe it's just not even in the music itself. It's just when I listen to it. Or maybe it did capture something of that era, uh, like, uh, you know, what is <laughs> what it's worth yeah. captured something <laughs> of, of its era. Yeah. And, you know, it just kind of grabbed onto a little of it. And maybe it's the kind of blandness of the era or the or the uh, the corporatization of uh, hippie ideals or I, maybe it's I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it does. When I hear it, I'm just sort of like there's a little something extra in it that makes me kind of keep listening. I don't know. And yet I find the album. I don't know if I would listen to the whole thing. Which which song was in the Miller Lite ad? Was it after midnight? I th- yeah, I think after midnight. I, yeah. Even though th- this is I'm, I'm sort of twisting history, but, um, y- you know, a, a Miller Lite ad with 
pretending or bad love is like the full circle commodification of the hippie ideals, right? It's like the, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like the, um, we don't have to believe in it, but we're going to advertise it to you. Like, and then we were, vi- yeah. you and I were very susceptible to that advertisement around this time. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm same as you. I won't turn the dial if bad love comes on. If pretending comes on, I probably will. Um, but if this was playing at uh, someone's <laughs> someone's cocktail party, I would not be unhappy. I guess. Weird, yeah. Cocktail party. Yeah. Weird. Weird choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But you know, you met, might pop up. <laughs> like maybe. Let me know if it pops up at a cocktail party on like a Spotify playlist accidentally. You know. Okay. This is All Eric right. Clapton. Eric Clapton Radio. Yeah. You know, okay. I've got like a buddy in Austin who plays guitar. Who knows? Yes. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, what What should we do next? I know you had an idea. We got to yeah, talk about this. I know. I see. Uh, I mean, I recommended doing Phil Collins. Uh, you, you know that. And I agree. You know, I did. This album is a little bit of a cheat because I wanted to write on uh, No Jacket Required. Yeah. And it, of course, is definitely not past prime. It is. It was his prime and he was under 40, which breaks our rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a weird workaround when I wrote the thing. Uh, so that would be my suggestion. I happen to be a little obsessed with this. This is another, that album just, <laughs> I don't know why, but it really just imprinted on me and I wanted to sort of go into it. But I'm open to some other things if you have. I wanted to honor the spirit of that um, with something maybe that, we both could grab onto. So I, I counter proposed Henley end of the innocence or sting soul cages. Cause I feel like both of us, um, like we're on equal footing, whereas on no jacket required, it, I feel like, unfair advantage. You I feel? feel like it could be a therapy session if I'm being honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't get paid for that. No. <laughs> Nor am I qualified. Nor are you qualified. I would of those. I accept your, you know, your offer, but I would choose Sting of those. Okay. Yeah, I'm into that. I find him odder. Yeah, it's a weirder <laughs> album. Uh, we and it's a weird. Album. And we can go into daddy issues, right? Yes, deep into yes. it can be a da- our special daddy issues episode. It's a special, we could do it. If we could release it on. Fa- we could record it next and release it on Father's Day. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Good talk, Steve. Good talk. Uh, and thank you for our listeners for uh, sticking with us. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Past Prime on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or the podcast provider of your choice. And if you'd like to learn more about Past Prime or read any of the essays that inspired this podcast, please visit us at pastpry. That's P-A-S-T-P-R-I dot M-E. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. 